Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. So this morning we'll have a little bit of a shorter Dharma talk, followed by the head student's entering ceremony. <clears throat> this is a ceremony that marks the start of our winter practice period, which lasts until April 2nd. The theme of the practice period is Bodhisattva's vow. Our head students for the practice period are John Eric Steinbomer and Ellen Hibbert. They've been nominated by their appreciative peers on councils and affirmed by Flint and I. During the practice period, we will be reading daily a beautiful poem of enlightenment by our Zen ancestor, Tori Zenji. You may not know that Tori Zenji, who lived from 1721 to 1792, was an eminent Japanese Zen Buddhist monk, teacher, author, painter, and calligrapher. He was the chief disciple and Dharma heir of Japanese Rinzai master, Hakuin Ekaku, and he was one of our ancestors on the Rinzai side. So some people may not know that Maizumi Roshi brought together um, the Rinzai, the Soto, and the Sambokyodam lineages um, and trained in all of them. So here is Tori Zenji's poem, which is also in our chant book, Bodhisattva's Vow. It has my favorite first line of any of our chants. <clears throat> when I, a student of the way, look at the real form of the universe, all is the never-failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of the awakened life. In any event, in any moment, and in any place, none can be other than the marvelous revelation that's glorious light. This realization made our ancestors and teachers extend tender care with respectful hearts, even to such beings as birds and beasts. This realization teaches us that our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood, the merciful incarnation of the awakened one. Who can be ungrateful? Or not respectful, even to senseless things, not to speak of humans. Even though they may be fools, be warm and compassionate toward them. If by any chance they should turn against us, become sworn enemies and persecute us, we should sincerely bow down with humble language in the reverent understanding that they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves 
by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through countless cycles of space and time. Then, on each moment's flash of our thought, there will grow a lotus flower, and on each lotus flower will be revealed perfection, unceasingly manifest as our life, just as it is right here, right now. May we extend this mind to all beings so that we and the world together may attain maturity in the wisdom of the awakened life. So we'll be reading this poem for morning service through the practice period. It might be a good opportunity to memorize it if you like. And I just want to say that following our morning program and head student ceremony today, we'll take up our long-standing practice of brunch at Central Market for anyone who's able to join us. We generally meet upstairs on the balcony of the cafe, weather permitting, so just a heads up. Okay, so what is this? What are we talking about when we talk about vow? And what does it mean to live a life of vow? It's not a promise. Um, it's not about being a scout with hand on heart, mouthing a platitude. It's not something that can be broken, like a promise is broken, like a marriage is broken. It's not a belief or an article of faith, as you'd find in some religions, not a doctrine or a dogma. It's not a set of commandments or principles you're supposed to follow. Vow is really a cosmic river that is a force field. And it's a force field of benefaction, as we say in our morning robe chant, right? Um, pure, unhindered good. It's coursing through our lives like a bloodstream. It's powerful and life-sustaining. When we are at cross currents with our vow, we struggle. We cause harm to ourselves, to others, and to the world. This leads to spiritual pathologies. The spiritual pathologies are afflictions of the heart and mind, conditions such as despair, apathy, <clears throat> feelings of isolation and alienation, feelings of being excluded or despised, resentment, envy, ignorance, grasping and hostility, are not physical or even psychological conditions, they are spiritual ailments, but they create a host of physical and psychological problems as well. Some, like disappointment, judgment, blame, shunning, are also relational and social pathologies. All spiritual pathologies have as their root dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction with what is, dissatisfaction with what is not, dissatisfaction with ourselves. Until this dissatisfaction is rooted out and seen for what it is, we suffer and we create suffering for others. As we practice, we can see these distorted beliefs about what should be for what they are, a distraction from the burning central questions about how to live this life, the one we have right here and now. We have to give up all hope for an imaginary life, all dread of a world beyond our comprehension, all night terrors about death and dying, in order to fully live in this moment, in order to have a genuine way of living. If that were so easy, we would not need Zen. We would not need a Sangha. We would not need these teachings. We sit to come into alignment with our vow, what we call our inmost request. 
We need each other to provide a safe space for this work of seeing through our limiting conditioning and experimenting with new ways of living, of being together and relating to other human beings. We need the teachings to help us recover from our psychic disorder, our spiritual confusion. <clears throat> in alignment, our life flows. So we say, in alignment, our life flows. When we say this, we're not making the false promise that everything in our lives will go smoothly, that the skies will open up and the days will all be sunny, that people will recognize our good hearts and approve of us, that we will never get angry, suffer losses, get old, get sick. We are not saying that others will never let us down, that our children will be happy, that our work in the world will be easy. All of the exact same difficulties we are facing now will still be there, and there are more to come. That is human living. Even the Buddha could not stop wars between two embattled kings, could not avoid aging, sickness, loss of beloved disciples, or death. Living by vow gives us the capacity to meet whatever comes from a place of confidence in ourselves and an orientation toward the world. It turns us into a resource for others rather than another source of suffering. We stop making things worse for ourselves and for others. To be this kind of resource, we must practice day to day, moment to moment. We are practicing staying awake, recalling our vow, being with others with respect curiosity, compassion, and connection. This is a source of joy, not an anxious self-improvement program. In relating with others, we become a light in the world that radiates a different, liberated, spacious, and kind way of being. In my view, the world needs more people who are practicing in this way, and we ourselves need to live our vow to enjoy a happy life despite any circumstance. So a vow is kind of impossible to put into words. Um, as I said, it's a force field. Yet we continue to try. Many of the chants in our Ahumada chant book are examples of that attempt. I can recommend also Shohaku Okamoto's excellent book, Living by Vow, as a clear and illuminating teaching on this subject. So during a practice period, we set out for a good chunk of time to investigate our practice more deeply. In a traditional monastery, they would lock the temple gates. And for 90 days or so, the monks would sit zazen long hours, doing the minimal routine chores, cooking meals, cleaning, laundry, and strengthen their attention and dedication. But we are householders, working out in the world, attending to our families, driving in traffic, meeting with friends, taking care of aging parents, feeding our pets, a practice period must take a different shape, the shape of our everyday lives. This makes practice both more challenging and more necessary. Our schedules are interrupted. It can be difficult to find time to sit. There are constant distractions and upsets. Other people push our buttons, misunderstand us, and get in our way. That is our path. During the practice period, then, we are exploring how to deepen our practice in ways that serve ourselves, others, and the world. We return over and over again to this question and vow. What is my connection to my vow in this moment? There will be plenty of moments when you don't feel that connection and don't want to. And that is instructive also. Take note, what hinders your capacity to think, speak, 
and act from your deepest bow. We can't wake up until we are willing to really see what we are doing, and sometimes we just don't want to. It's painful. We don't want to see ourselves being petty, arrogant, self-centered, cruel, oblivious, grasping. We don't want to see the clumsy way we're blundering through this world, blindly bumping into others. But it is necessary, and it is necessary to do this seeing with compassion, knowing that this is what we do, we humans. It's not an excuse, it's a recognition. And the seeing in itself begins to create causes and conditions for relief from this painful condition. I would say we become less interested in our fantasy life, in which we are the noble ones or the victims or the rebels, more curious in an open way, like a baby encountering a new world. What is this life really? We become more aware of the suffering of others, more sensitive to our role in relieving suffering, more open to the possibilities presented in each moment. What matters is not whether we wear robes, sit in a monastery, follow traditional forms. What matters is the sincerity of our practice and the very lives we are in right now, listening to a Dharma talk, sitting in Zazen, at home, in the Zendo, online, in an airport, waiting in a doctor's office, sitting in traffic. Take a deep breath. You are already Buddha. You are on the Buddha path of a human lifetime. You have the Buddha's guidance in the teachings and in the teachers you're blessed with. Dharma teachers here, teachers in other places, a friend going through a breakup, your child, your difficult boss. And most of all, we have each other, spiritual friends who share a path. <clears throat> the path of aspiration and vow. In our precept ceremony, we give expression to the Bodhisattva vow in this way. I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. It's not complicated, but it's not easy either. Use this practice period for deep inquiry into what, might, what that might mean for you in your own life. So, I have an idea of uh, engaging you in a few questions, if that's okay. And you can respond or not. Um, and there are questions I'm genuinely curious about, that's what I'm asking now. So, um, so just close your eyes for a minute, become mindful. <clears throat> And reflect on what you most appreciate about this moment as we sit together on a Sunday morning.
Now, if there's anything that you'd like to share about that appreciation, raise your hand. I just want to say that you know, I'm alive and um, in awe at, at the miracle of this moment. Yeah. Not sure if folks heard that, but uh, Eric said he feels alive and aware of the miracle of this moment. I um, was really feeling the energy of sitting next to you and Kim, the support of it, because y'all are both so, I, I trust both of you so much and your love and investment in this Sangha that I feel very supported by that. That's good to hear. I was really aware of the sound of a little bit so people can hear yeah. I was really aware of the sound of the rain and mm -hmm. the uh, sort of beauty and gratitude of being in this space and during that outside, just all the presence of everyone here just felt Loving hearing the thunder. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so much gratitude for our shared practice, and um, and and in so many different ways that we practice. Yeah, Peter. Uh, oh, I just was struck by the feeling of a uh, kind of this container that the sangha is. I don't know if that's the right word, yeah. but uh, just kind of a uh, kind of a bowl that we're all sitting in. That's all the same, the same Jello. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, it's a supported feeling, yeah, yeah, of being part of a sangha. Yeah. yeah. I want to make sure that if there's anyone online who wants to speak up. Raise your hand. <clears throat> we don't want to leave you out. Marla. Marla. Good morning. I immediately thought about my gratitude for the technology that allows me to participate so fully with Appamata from my location in Minnesota. It's so wonderful. It's so great to see you all, really. Yeah, Carolyn. So I really appreciated hearing you, Peg. Um, I have been longing to hear a Dharma talk and it just sat in my heart to get to hear your wisdom again and just greatly appreciated that. Thank you. Olivia. Olivia. The names are tiny to read across the room. So <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I just appreciate so much the opportunity to see you again, Peg. Our long connection that we have had. And yes. Big part of the reason that I have taken vows. Thank you for that new insight. Hi. Yeah. I'm. I, I just. I was just sat here thinking just how grateful I am that I'm. The essence I can feel of the people online and in Zendo, and how sitting right here I can be with both and people from all over the world, and just what a gift that is. How the Sangha is so far and wide, and yet we're all right here together in this moment. And I just think that is such a special 
Yes. Thank you. So, yeah, I am so grateful for the fact that there's so many people that are striving to um, to be bodhisattvas. It's heartening, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Sometimes we forget because we, we haven't we're inundated by bad news, you know, and things to be terrified by. And that was what I realized so many years ago watching uh, Flint and Nintendo at ACC. You know that what's gonna what's gonna counter this escalating spiral of violence and cruelty? Tiny acts of kindness. That's what we have, and it's uh, heartening to me to see that people are uh, wanting to be connected in that way. Yeah, <clears throat> wonderful. Yeah, the other the other voices. Oh, yes, I want to. I don't know that this is, it's hard to put into words, but I just feel my heart is just bursting from um, feeling connection with each person in the safety and the warmth and the love. It's just incredible to have this feeling. Kathy. Kathy. Good morning. Good. So wonderful to see you there, Peg. Um, I'm I'm just um, sensing the the focus of the room and the people in it, and it it feels um, it feels so warm, and to know that there are all these tentacles that are going out to different parts of the world in different states, mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful sight. Thank you. Rosemary. Rosemary. Good morning, and um, thank you, Peg, for that talk. And I just want to say how much I appreciate um, the practice, the practice with you all, and actually my discovery of this practice, and in with this group, and for the efforts that the Sangha makes to create uh, such a connection between all of us um there and here and all over it's it's very very much noticed and appreciated so thank you it's our pleasure so i myself want to express some appreciation um it's um it's so interesting to me how vast my appreciation is you know how i keep it just sort of keeps expanding I'm, I'm so appreciative of our Dharma teachers, Lori and Todd and Joel, and their continuity of care for the Sangha, um, their presence for Zazen, for practice discussion, for intensives. Todd and Joel just completed an intensive <coughs> ceremonies and informal connections as when we had that potluck on Friday. You know, it's just such a gift to have such capable teachers, and people keep reporting to me how. How much they love having practice discussion with these teachers and how helpful they've been our people on the entrustment path so our backup teachers teachers coming along you know um, so this is part of our sustainability model for apamata so that we can continue to have this continuity of care um, our councils um, 
I especially am appreciative of Nelda for her generosity and allowing us to continue to have our practice home and her generosity in general to the Sangha. Of course, my appreciation for Flint and what he's offering all of you in the form of inquiry and practice discussion groups and just his, his presence. And we'll be together in April for our Sangha, our um, intensive that. Most of all, I appreciate you and your flexibility and cooperation and resilience in the face of fluctuating guidelines as we continue to try to keep everyone safe and well as possible. Um, we live in a world with changing conditions. Our great strength as a species is our capacity to adapt and share knowledge and work together intelligently in the face of all kinds of dangers. The shared goodwill and compassion and care for each other in our Sangha are so heartening to me. Your willingness to keep coming together as we're able to and to sustain our warm connections inspires everyone. So thank you for making the necessary accommodations so that our foundational principle of mutual care can be actualized, even in extreme circumstances. We are truly being our best selves together. This really started long, long ago with uh, our little, um, what was then Live Oak Zen group, which you know, was five, maybe six people on a big day. And they held themselves together. I'd be away for conferences. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to be gone a Sunday or two. But they held themselves together when I went into residence at AZC for six months, when I went off to the monastery for six months. And there's sort of this tenacity of purpose around the Sangha that is so inspiring to me um, that whatever has happened, senior teachers have moved away, a huge pandemic, and here we are. <laughs> you know, there's some continuity of care that is. Um, I, I just find absolutely irresistible. Um, so we are truly being our best selves together, I think. That's my opinion. Uh, but we also have to acknowledge our pain, both as individuals and as a community. So we can think about, you know, we can take a moment and think about what, what um, I've missed most about our Sangha over the past couple of years. Just think about that. What, what have you missed most about our Sangha over the past couple of years? And if you're new, your question is what I long for most from this community is. So when you have a thought about that, you can raise a hand. Yeah, John here. I miss having you and Flint here in person. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I miss being here in person. Yeah, Robin? Um, residential intensives, cooking together, living together, sitting yeah. together without, with just a, a break from <clears throat> external distractions. Yeah. Yeah. We can look forward to that coming back as soon as we can do it. I've missed sitting in this space. Mm -hmm. it just feels well. It is home for me, you know. <laughs> Every place else is. I feel like I'm camping out, but <laughs> this is really my genuine home. And being together with all of you. Yeah, Rosemary. Yes, I just wanted to second Robin's um, um, longing for the residential because I thought 
That would be so wonderful, certainly for the local folks, but also for us to meet, you know, you and, and to meet each other. We haven't met each other, really. Yeah. Those of us online. So I love that that idea and what, what Robin said about um, uh, releasing us from all of the um, our responsibilities and all. But yes, for the hybrid, it just would be really special. So yes, second the motion. <laughs> yeah. It's so um, nourishing just to be together. Oh, it's just so incredibly nourishing. It's been a long haul. And the people who have come, the doshis who have served in morning service and been here for you, I have so much respect for all that they've contributed to the Sangha, just out of the goodness of their hearts. So, so we have some grief, um, some grief worm kind of metabolizing around the pandemic and the teachers moving and the isolation we've all had to experience and the dislocation that's meant and kinds of losses that we've actual losses that we've faced of loved ones and a sense of kind of sense of security in the world, I think. Um, that you know we're confronted daily with uncertainty and impermanence, some anxiety about the future, um, and some damage to the social fabric that the pandemic has caused, not only just to our sangha, but in general, the larger culture. So we have to acknowledge the pain of that, even as we are beginning this sort of on-ramp to the return to community. So <laughs> For many of us, we've sort of gotten out of the habit more than anything. You know, a lot of people are saying, I'm just not seeing as many friends as I used to, or I'm not going out as often as I used to, and not because I don't want to, but because I've gotten out of the habit. So we need to provide a little scaffolding um, for people to be intentional about their longing to come back together and take, take up advantage of the opportunities to come back together. Be, proactive and rehabituating ourselves to being together. Uh, and one of our main ways of doing this is through informal gatherings. So for example, the potluck on Friday or the Friday morning tacos. For a lot of people, that's sort of a way back in, you know, um, and to getting reconnected to people and feeling more connected to the sangha and to the space. Ceremonies like we'll have today with the head student ceremony. And just sitting in Zazen, of course, is always so warmly connecting. Um, and it's hard for people if they've been sitting at home for two and a half years to recall what it feels like to come over. Like a little, it's an extra effort to come over and sit with other people. Intensives, and of course, all the programs that we have going on are continuing remarkably enough. Women in Zen, depth and practice, precept study, inquiry, Buddhist action now, classes, we'll have intro to Zen classes from our head students, um, recorded teachings, and, um, and our wonderful sewing practice. So it has been so uh, profoundly nourishing for people. So I think, um, basically, uh, it's about recalling what we want. The vow is really about recalling what we want. We want to be together, uh, what we want in our lives, um, what kinds of connections we want. So we can ask, um, we can ask these four questions of ourselves. Um, what is it that you want from Zen practice? What is it that you want from this Sangha? What is it that you want to contribute to the world? 
and what is it that you want to be in this moment? So that's those are our sort of existential questions. Our practice is simply about recalling what we want. And for me, you know, I guess I would answer those questions of what I want as basic sanity hmm. uh, for myself and in my relationships with other people. Um, connection. So after so much isolation and so much separation, um, a learning path for aspiration, you know, so we, we're continuing to study and learn and evolve and grow. Um, care for ourselves, for others, and for the world, and this sense of a vow. So um, in our longing to be part of a much larger story than our small selves, vow is a cosmic force for good and a compass heading for our spiritual journey. So we can tell. We can tell when we're in alignment with that vow. We can tell when we're off, sort of. And uh, so the compass is not about holding steady uh, direction. It's really about more like sailing, you know, when you're tacking to keep moving in the same direction. So all of this, I think, is much better together. We're social mammals. Isolation and separation are a form of social and psychic violence. We need each other. The Buddha recognized the importance of spiritual friendship. During the rainy season, his disciples gathered to hear his teachings. Many had been scattered. They'd been scattered to teach and to share his teachings with others, but now they had come back together with their friends. So we can imagine the joyful conversations, the warm sense of community they must have felt. We can imagine it because we're experiencing it ourselves. We are those disciples. Here we are, both in person and online, sharing this moment, and I'm so, so happy about this. <clears throat> I can't even describe it. We survived a social catastrophe, a wildfire, a flood, a devastating tornado, same, same, same kind of destructive energy, right? And here you are, still warmly connected to each other, happy to see each other, so ready to come together again. So thank you for your faith in Appamata and our Sangha. Thank you, new folks, for your curiosity and willingness to explore this community. I hope you find what is nourishing for you on this path. And let's keep reconnecting, strengthening the social fabric of the Sangha, the warmth and light and care that we find here. That's my vow. So in a few minutes, we'll be setting up for our head students entering ceremony. And afterwards, as I mentioned earlier, we'll celebrate at Central Market, which unfortunately, folks online won't be able to do. But Anyone who wants to go have a invite, that's our, our post-Sunday treat. Okay, so any questions, reflections? Does this make sense to you so far? Well, I'm so happy to see you. This is such a treat. Yeah. It's so wonderful to have friends on the boat. Right? <laughs> <laughs>